goodness. Good morning. Man, I hope that um, our time to sing together and our time just to sit next to one another is just a refreshing time for you. It's refreshing uh, to be able to meet with the kids and, and hear their responses to the truth of God. I hope you feel the same way that I do. It is such always a refreshing and joyful time to gather with you. If you're new with us today, thank you so much for coming. Um, but I would personally like to say thank you for coming. Uh, we don't want to take you to connect uh, into our church family. So if you could do that now, that would be great. Uh, in our time of worship, well, I always forget, the offering plates have already gone by. So this is what you're going to do instead. 
Um, you're after the close of our worship gathering, you're going to walk out those doors and you're right as you exit. We call that our Ask Me booth or table. If you could just drop that there or hand it someone so that we could have record that you were here with us. But we're glad you're here. So we are finishing up this, these 13 weeks. We have been in the Ten Commandments. Last week we covered the two great commandments to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and might or strength or mind. Your neighbor as yourself. Reminders that all that God said, all of his law is fulfilled in those two great commandments. If we could just devote ourselves to the Lord and love him and then in turn love our neighbor as ourselves, seek their greatest good. Um, But now... um, we go to that great commission. So with that in mind, would you stand with me? And we are going to read Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, or just beginning in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. Amen. You may be seated. Lord, we ask for your help this morning. Lord, I ask for your help. Lord, you promised to send counsel and help when we ask for it. So, Lord, may your spirit guide the words that I speak today to encourage my family and friends to obey you. Lord, may you be exalted and lifted up. May your son be more seen to be more even beautiful and more glorious as we receive your word today. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Out of nothing, God created the heavens and the earth. He spoke, let there be light, and there was an explosion of light and space, an ever-increasing expanse. And with his fingers, he flung stars and planets and comets and galaxies into that dark Expanse, setting them into constant motion. In six days, God prepared the land, a suitable place for a man and a woman, whom he created on the last day from the dust of the earth, Adam and then Eve. He breathed life into them and said, you have been made in my image. Now enjoy and work the land that I have given you. Enjoy one another, multiply and fill the earth with my glory. He also gave them very clear instructions to freely enjoy all that the land had to offer. Save fruit from one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so for a season, they knew God. They walked with him in the cool of the day, and they knew one another. They lived in harmony and peace and joy until the enemy entered the garden, tempting the woman to eat from the tree. Believing the promise of temptation over the promise of God, she rebelled against God and ate the fruit and then gave it to her husband. At that moment, their eyes were opened. They saw their shame and they became their own gods, turning from the Lord and going their own way. Sin had entered God's beautiful creation and with it, sin came 
along with separation and death. And while God was gracious to the man and woman, nothing would ever be the same. They were at odds with God now and with one another. And even more, God sent them to the east. He cast them out of the garden, banishing them from the garden forever. But before the man and woman left, God whispered in their ear, I will make a way. I will make things new. The man and woman multiplied, but so did sin and death. And after generations, humankind's sin was so great and wicked and such an offense to God that he reckoned to destroy all but one family, Noah's. He alone was only willing to listen to God. So God rescued Noah and his family, leading them to build a giant ark that would protect them from the great flood. And he whispered to Noah, I am making a way. I will make all things new. God blessed Noah, and once again, God filled the earth with his unique creation made in his image. All the while, sin, separation, and death persisted. Generations passed, and at one, at the appointed time, God began to speak to another man, Abram. God changed his name and told him, I am taking you to a new land, so go. And I'm making you a father of nations, and through your people I will bless the whole world. I will make things new. God began to fulfill his promise to Abraham. He had a son named Isaac, and Isaac had a son named Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons. One of the sons, Joseph, knew God, would use him one day to do great things. But his older brothers wouldn't hear it. Hating him for his apparent pride, they beat him to almost his last breath and sold him into slavery. And the slave traders slowed him to an Egyptian ruler. And unbeknownst to his brothers, Joseph went from slave to second in command in all of Egypt through the providential hand of God. When Jacob's sons and families had families of their own, a famine hit the whole region, sending some of the sons to Egypt to find help. There they found their brother Joseph, and they were scared. Yet Joseph forgave them for what they meant for evil, God used for good in order to make a way for his people, Abraham's and Isaac's and Jacob's people. God was faithful to fulfill his promise. All of Jacob's sons and their families moved to Egypt in order to survive the great famine. 400 years passed, and the people of Israel multiplied through God's blessing, just as he had promised Abraham before. But the ruler of Egypt had no recollection of Joseph. And so out of fear, he enslaved the Hebrew people and attempted to kill their infant sons. But God once again redeemed his people. God raised up a man named Moses, saying to him, I'm sending you to Pharaoh the ruler of Egypt, to demand he let my people go. Moses was fearful and reluctant, but God gave him courage and power, for God was making a way. He was making things new. Moses appeared before Pharaoh, but he resisted. God sent plagues to devastate Egypt, to display his glory and power, and to convince Pharaoh to release his people With the 10th plague, he sent the angel of death to take the lives of every firstborn son. But he passed over the sons of Israel and redeemed them out of their slavery. Fleeing Egypt, God promised to lead them to the land he had promised Abraham before, the promised land. Moses became a faithful and humble leader to the people and a friend of God. For he spoke to him face to face. 
And when they came to the mountain in the desert, God led Moses to its summit in order to receive his law for the people to make covenant with him. The mountain thundered and was covered with fire and smoke. The people were terrified. They turned away from the mountain, thinking surely they would die, so they would not look at it. Yet Moses spoke to God, and God spoke to him. And on tablets of stone, he gave him the ten words, or the ten commandments. And he said, you will be my treasure, my people, and I will be your God. I will bless you in the land as long as you listen to my commands and follow me and no other God. You must love me with all your heart, soul, and might, and love your neighbor as yourself. People agreed that this was good, and they agreed to follow all God's commands. And God led them to the land he had promised and fought their battles. From the 12 sons, he distinguished 12 tribes, and each tribe he gave land and blessed them. He was their God, and they were his people, and he desired to bless them as they followed the law that he had given them. There were seasons of faithfulness, but mostly they rebelled against their God and followed after other lesser gods, non-existent gods from neighboring nations. And each time, God would send another nation to oppress them, to punish them, to remind them of their great God. And each time, they would repent and cry out for help, and God would rescue them using judges and prophets that he had appointed at just the right time. Eventually, they demanded a king, and God gave them a king, Saul and David, a man after God's own heart. Generations of kings came and went. A kingdom united, then divided. Some kings listened to the Lord, but mostly they all rebelled against God and went their own way, much like Adam and Eve before them and the people. And the people's hearts were far from God and far from the law that he had given them. And God would send prophets. One day I will turn their hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. I will put my word into their hearts. I will make a way, sending my servant, and he will make their hearts brand new. After the last prophet at that time, there was 400 years, no word from God. In its place was exile and hardship because of the people's constant rebellion. Then at just the right time, a young woman was visited by an angel, and he said, Behold, God is making a way. He's making all things new. You will become pregnant and give birth to God's only son, and you will call him Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. He will be the Savior to the world and bless all the nations. And she believed God. And there is also a voice in the wilderness that said, make way, make straight the paths of the Lord, repent for God's kingdom is near. And Jesus grew in wisdom and strength. When he was 30 years old, he began to teach. He spoke with authority and beauty, calling his own disciples. He went from village to village, teaching and healing the sick. Everyone was in awe of this Jesus. They hung on to every word that he spoke and were amazed by every single miracle that he performed. Who is this man, they thought. But the religious leaders hated him 
For his words were a threat to their own authority, and they hated that the people were more enamored by Jesus than by them. He told his disciples, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He said, I have come to seek and save the lost. I am making a new covenant with my blood to cover the sins of the whole world. He told them, they will put me to death, and I will rise again on the third day. He was right. At just the right time, as God had planned before the world began, Jesus, the Son of God, was crucified. The man without sin, the man of sorrow, died for the sins of the world. And yet, on the third day, as he promised, he rose from the grave victorious over sin and death. When the disciples saw him and touched him, they believed and worshipped him. And almost 40 days after his resurrection, the Son of God, the Son of Glory, met with his disciples on the mountain. Not unlike the mountain that Moses ascended. And he came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. to try to put the story that the commission that Jesus gave to his disciples on that mountain was not the first commission. That from the very beginning when sin had entered the world, God said, I am making a way to restore all, make things right, to give victory over sin and death, to create with not with hearts of stone, but with hearts of flesh, who would know and have my word hit heart. And we see, we see that in the Great Commission being fulfilled in the Great Commission, that great command. If you remember on that mountain with Moses, Moses went up to the mountain, there was thunder, there was lightning, there was fire, and the people said to Moses, we can't go to that mountain. We can't look to that mountain, but the scene is very different. Jesus said, come to the mountain, remember? And I will give you a commission. And rather than turning away from the mountain, the people of God, the disciples who had been forgiven of sin, washed white as snow, were in the presence of Jesus, the Son of God, without fear. They worshiped him. Pretty incredible scene. The scripture tells us in verse 16 that there were both worshipers and doubters, two kinds of people that were present listening to Jesus as he gave the Great Commission. We believe that not only the disciples were present, that likely there were a lot of other people that came to see this Jesus, and some of them weren't certain of this man, Jesus, who had
Jesus as giving up his rights, not clinging to his rights as God, but becoming a servant, a slave, even one who would go to death, right? This is not the same Jesus here, the same person, but now with restored authority. The end of Philippians chapter 2 says that after the resurrection, God would highly exalt him, that every knee would bow and every tongue confess. So when Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, this is not the servant who came as a little baby, who authority, who has reclaimed as the son of God. The one that holds all the universe together speaks with authority. That's what Jesus means. He says, I'm the glorified son of God. I'm highly exalted. All rights have been restored to me and I speak with the fullness of authority that I had before the creation of the universe. God has authority. Jesus has authority to command and to fulfill the commission that he's given his people. And so with authority, Jesus commissions his disciples. He sends them on a new mission. And this is significant. This is pretty significant. So Jesus has all authority over all the universe. And he commissions the disciples and then the church to finish what he has started. Now consider that for a moment. The creator of the heavens, the earth. The one who holds all things together. The one who knows all things says, my plan is you, is us, with his authority. He could have come up with a thousand other different ways, and yet he chose the best. You can trace your Christian spiritual heritage back to 13 disciples. Now, I'm adding Matthias and Paul. That through uh, 13 disciples and that commission, that the gospel has exploded across the world, and you and I are recipients of that. God has the authority and the means to fulfill the Great Commission, and he is doing it. Nothing will keep God from fulfilling his commission. It explodes everywhere, and to this day, God is incredibly and increasingly at work in our world, China, Iran, North Africa, India. The church is because of Jesus' authority to end and fulfill the Great Commission through the church. Man, God isn't waiting for us to get its act together. God is on the move. He's on the move with authority. And he is doing the work that he has promised through his church. Did you know that Christian scholars and missionaries are now telling us that the fastest growing church in the world is in Iran? Isn't that incredible? in some of the hardest to reach places on our planet that oppress the gospel, hate Jesus, persecute Christians, the church is unstoppable as they live out the great commission. God has the authority 
to finish the task. Remember when Jesus asked his disciples, he said, who do people say that I am? Elijah, Jeremiah, and then he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, no one told you this, but my father in heaven and my church will be built on that truth. And let me tell you, not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. When God speaks to us that great commission, this last command that he give, gives his disciples, he speaks with the authority of the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who fashioned you in his image. And not only does he have the authority to command us, to tell us what to do, how to do church, he says, I also have the means to fulfill it. And nothing can stop what I'm doing through the church. It's true. We see it at work everywhere. It's awesome. Do we believe that? Do we believe that we are plan A? Do you believe that we're plan A in San Antonio? That God has the means and authority to fulfill his work in this city, in the United States, that feels so dark at times? And no one believes God anymore. No one's following God. Do we believe that we're plan A? Jesus would just say, yes, you're plan A. Right here in San Antonio, in the United States and the world. So how do we get out the door, Christian, mom or dad or teenager or college student? How do we get out the door? How do we go and make disciples? Well, I just want to offer some few insights that I think we find here and in other places in the scripture the commission that we have from Jesus is to go. This is so important. This go and make disciples that we find in verse 18 is an, an echo of the original mandate that God gave Adam and Eve when he said, go, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. This is no different. It's no different than the commission that he gave his, uh, his people, the Hebrews, the Israelites. Go, fill this land of promise. May I bless you, Right? Be my people and I will be your God. It's no different. And we find here Jesus says, go. And Jesus modeled this for us. He modeled moving towards us first. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he sent. Jesus didn't wait for us to ask to him to come. Jesus came because of our desperate need. Jesus was always part of God's plan to make all things new, to turn our hearts of stone into hearts of Flesh, And so in the same way that Jesus was sent, or in the same way that Jesus has gone, gone and come to us, he says, you go now. He's never asking us to do something that he hasn't already done. Go, make disciples. That's not all, is it? He says, go and make disciples and baptize them as that beautiful image of the death and resurrection in an individual's life, that you are indeed brand new, that you have a new God, and teach them to obey. Listen, our mission isn't kindness and it isn't social justice. We do those things because that's by nature who we are now. We are kind because we have become kind in Jesus. We are gentle. We are people of grace and mercy because it's our very nature of who we are. We bring justice and healing to a broken world all around because we are servants. But our mission is to go and make disciples. 
to tell people about Jesus, to engage our family, our friends, and neighbors with the good news of Jesus Christ, to invest in them, spend time with them, speak to them the truth of Jesus, leading them to faith in Jesus, inviting them to believe in the same Jesus that you believe, inviting them to be baptized, to make that public testimony and story that I am a follower in Jesus in the same way that you were baptized, teaching them to follow Jesus in the same way, hopefully, that you're following Jesus. Jesus says, I want you to go make disciples. I want you to baptize these people, these friends and these neighbors, and I want you to invest in them and show them the way to take steps in following me in the same way, hopefully, that you are following Jesus. That's the commission. It's a tall order. It's convicting, isn't it? That's plan A. For you. I mean individually. That's God's plan for your life. And corporately, as the church. His plan to use us to finish the task. Go. Now you go. Do as I do, make disciples. How do we get out the door? How do we get up from the dinner tables and our couches, although those are really great places to share the gospel, by the way, but how do we get up out of our fear or whatever that keeps us from engaging the world with the gospel and get out the door? When Paul talks about um, sharing the gospel with people, he, he lists several motivations, and I just want to mention two, 2 Corinthians, this is in 2 Corinthians um, there are two major motivations that Paul talks about, and we're going to talk about one more. He says um, fear, an appropriate fear of God, that God is going to hold him accountable with what he's given him. Right? So Paul says, you know, fear keeps me motivated, that God's going to watch my life, and he's going to hold me accountable with the, the story that he's given me and my own salvation. He's going to hold me account to tell others. Secondly, he says the love of Christ will compel me. And so when we point back to verse 16 where it says some worshiped, some doubted, Paul is one of those worshipers. He wasn't present at the time. He would come later, but he is a worshiper. When he sees God, he sees him in all of his glory and authority, and he says, I am under the authority of Jesus. He is the ruler of the universe. He has the right to command me and the right to hold me accountable. And, and Paul also says, when I look at that Jesus, I exalt him, for all things are held together by Jesus, and he has commanded me to go. He is the, the living, glorious son of God, the redeemer of the world. I want to give my life to him. And out of that worship of fear and love for his savior, Paul says, I go. I go. He's told me to go. And his love compels me to go. That's, those are pretty important things to remember. Do we worship God? Do we, is our Jesus as big as Paul's Jesus in our own life? Do we see him in the same way? John and Peter, you remember in, in Acts chapter 4, John and Peter, this is a while after Jesus had commissioned them. They were telling people about Jesus and they, miracles were happening and, and they were disrupting cities. Right, And those in authority came to John and Peter and arrested them. They beat them. And then they said, stop talking about this Jesus. Do you remember what they said 
in response? They said, "Um, we're not sure, but should we obey you or obey God? And then they said this, we can't help but tell about what we've seen and heard. John and Peter's motivation was they could not help but tell people about the things that they had seen Jesus do and the things they had heard Jesus say. It begs a question for us, doesn't it? Maybe we can't get out the door because we have seen so little or heard so little from Jesus in our own life. We don't see him or hear him. And so we're not compelled to tell others what we have seen and heard. And some of you might know this, some of you don't, but I, I train jujitsu three to four times a week, and by no means am I a great jujitsu practitioner, but I have learned a few things, and not just the skills of jujitsu, it's a grappling martial art, um, but I've also learned a lot about the process. I've learned a lot about the process. I've learned a lot about myself. If, if, if I only train once every, uh, once every two weeks, I'm not inclined to do well, and this is why. Because if I train, I find myself training several days in a row, my mind and body develops what it calls muscle memory, right? That I don't have, it doesn't take me near as long to perform or do the moves that I've been training to move because I've been doing them enough that my body just begins to do them. I don't have to stop and think what's next. It just happens. And so I've discovered that when I commit myself to seeing and hearing and training that I'm more inclined to put to practice with ease the things that my professors and coaches want me to do. Muscle memory. What about our spiritual memory? Maybe we wrestle with telling the story of Jesus or having the motivation because I've seen and heard so much in Jesus, maybe we wrestle with that because we don't have much of a spiritual memory. We're not around Jesus enough. Uh, We don't invite his words into our life. Uh, We're not seeing glorying in the things that he did when he walked with the apostles that are recorded for us in the word of God. Jesus is not real for us in the same way that he was for the apostles. I want us to cultivate our spiritual memory in such a way that it gets us out the door. And the only way to do that is to be a disciple, which means I'm gonna be ambitious to surround myself with the words and work of Jesus in my life. And I know this sounds so Sunday school, folks. The only way we're ever going to be enamored and gloried by the words and work of Jesus is by getting in the words themselves. We can't develop spiritual memory if we're not holding on to the things that we need to remember. If we're not engaging the things that we need to remember. 
if we're not allowing Jesus into our life, not just parts of our life, but all of our life, through the word of God and through the community of faith, the word of God tells us that Christ is in you. Christ is in you. Uh, um, Ephesians chapter 4 describes the nature of the church, that it's Christ in us, and through our interactions and love for one another, he builds up the church. And so one of the ways that we cultivate and strengthen our spiritual memory, not unlike muscle memory, uh, is that not only do we get in the words of Jesus themselves and the works of Jesus themselves in the word of God, but we faithfully surround ourselves with the body of Christ, that we immerse ourselves. And it's through that immersion with one another, if we're faithful to speak life into one another or remind each other of the gospel, that it's even there that our spiritual memory, that we can hear and see Jesus at work in one another. And John and Peter say, we can't help but tell others of the things that we both heard and saw in Jesus. I'm convinced that unless we really cultivate the same type of spiritual memory that they had, we're not inclined to go and make disciples. We'll be comfortable with just coming. Coming to worship gathering or coming to a Bible study. But God didn't call us only to be gatherers. He called us to be goers. Lastly, Jesus said, you're not alone. Not into the end of the age. You will never be alone. Um, when you go to that cafe and sit across the table from your friend and you're mustering up the gumption to tell your story of faith, Jesus says you're not alone. When you're with your uh, teenage friends uh, in the cafeteria or uh, at their home hanging out and you muster up the courage to talk about Jesus who has redeemed you, Jesus promises you're not alone. Sometimes I think we don't know that reality because we're not inclined to go. What if we went and began to go and make disciples and we experienced anew that promise. I wasn't alone. God was with me and it bore fruit in the lives of people around me. After uh, John and Peter were released, they went back and told friends and the church prayed for boldness to get out the door. I want us to pray the same way. Some of you might say, well, Danny, um, you're adding more to my plate, but let me tell you, this is the plate. The commission is the plate. In the workplace, at school, we are called to be on mission to share the story of Jesus as we go, everywhere we go, with all the people God puts in our life or sends us to. He's called to bless people, to tell people in living rooms and cafe tables and dinner tables and on the way where we go. Will we pray that that happens in your life individually in our church family? Will we pray for boldness to go? Um, Father, thank you, Lord, for your story of redemption from the very beginning that you promised to make things new. And Lord, help us to know 
that you have called your church plan A to finish the task. Lord, help us to get out the door. Help us to be faithful disciples, to to read your word, love your word, and to to pray to, to increase boldness in our life and in our church's family. Lord, we want to be everything that you've called us to be. And so by your authority, make it so in us. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. You can stand. Um, We're going to move into a time of response. Um, Can I just ask you to pray like that church in Acts chapter uh, 4 prayed? Will you pray with boldness that God would get us out the door, that he would wake us up? You can come here uh, if you want to pray. Our our promise to you, if you come up to pray, uh, we will pray alongside you and with you. If you're coming to faith in Christ for the first time, I'm going to be standing right here. It's not a requirement, but I'd like to know. Let me know. Uh, Christian, you may need to repent and say, you know, I don't, I haven't gone. I've never gone. I've never been about the mission of God. Maybe you need to ask, Lord, help me live out your mission. Let's worship and let's respond.